0: So this morning it's a service of two halves. My half is reading the scripture <laughs> and the other half is Derek explaining the scripture. Now uh, in yonder year congregations would have been asked to stand for the reading of the uh, of the Bible verses but I'm not going to make you do that this morning. So we're in Exodus chapter 11 and we're reading all of Exodus chapter 11 and 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go from there. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, thus, thus saith the Lord About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill. And all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all your people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house. A lamb for a household. And the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation... Of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall Let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat that alone may be prepared by you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall not eat leaven in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Then the people bowed their head and worshipped. And then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up at night. He and his servants and all the Egyptians... And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both of you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you said. Take your flocks and your herds as you said, and be gone and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel also done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leaven, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves." At the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Amen. (laughs) Derek, <laughs>
1: I'm feeling parched just uh, just listening to you. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me extend my welcome to that, off uh, and happy birthday, John. Uh, let me extend my welcome to that of uh, Russell's. It's good to be with you this morning, and it's good to be able to turn now to uh, God's Word and to hear what he would have to say to us this morning. Thanks, particularly Russell, for reading so so well and leading us this morning. Not an easy passage um, to read in terms of its rather stark content at times, but a passage which is ultimately very encouraging for us as we come to consider Jesus and that's what I hope the output of today is, that we leave here feeling encouraged by Jesus. But before we consider that this morning, let us just pray and ask for the Lord's help. Help to hear his word, help to ponder it afresh, and help to have the Holy Spirit minister to us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for what we have remembered and sang about and read this morning and lord we pray now that as we come to consider your word that you would speak clearly to us that your spirit would minister to our hearts and that we would leave here as people encouraged and challenged by your word better equipped to glorify you and better equipped to serve you we pray in your precious son's name amen Let's begin in the New Testament. Turn with me, please, to John 1 and to verse 29. That's John 1 and verse 29. Read with me what it says there. The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was, as we read elsewhere, a wild and holy prophet whose mission in life was to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. John was of course prophesied in the Old Testament as being the one who would cry out in the wilderness and introduce Jesus to the world. And when John's big moment came to announce Christ onto the world stage, what do we hear him say? We hear him saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb. Think for a moment all the ways in which John could have introduced Jesus onto the world stage. He could have said, Behold the Son of God. Behold the Word of God. Behold the Christ of God. Behold the priest of God. Behold the Son of Righteousness. Behold the light of the world. Behold the Lord of Israel. Behold the great I Am. Behold the Maker of heaven and earth. Behold the judge of the world. Behold the ruler of the ages. He could have chosen any of those. But here's what John thought we needed to know first. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the sacrifice. Behold, here is God's propitiation. That's the most fundamental introduction to Jesus. Here he is, the Lamb of God. So if we want to understand Jesus... We must understand him as the Lamb. And there's no better place in Scripture to understand him as that than what we have just read in our passage today. So perhaps unsurprisingly, we are going to center all of this morning thinking about Jesus as our Passover Lamb. And we're going to reflect on three aspects of how Jesus as our Passover Lamb saves us. But before we do that, I would like us to have a full appreciation and indeed a comprehension for why it's so significant to think of him as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And to do that, I would like us to recap on the Passover narrative that we've just read to look at the details and then to set that detail in the context of the word as a whole. So we're going to look at the details... We're then going to set that in the context of the word, and then we're going to look at those three aspects of how the Lamb of God saves us. So, to the details. Perhaps the first thing to say about the Passover is that Passover was a plague. If you look at your heading uh, at chapter 11 in your translation, it will likely tell you something like this. It will likely be headed the plague of the firstborn or a final plague threatened. There have been nine plagues before this one, as Johnny went through last Sunday, nine signs to Pharaoh that the Lord is God and that Pharaoh should let his people go. But each time we hear that Pharaoh refuses, and each time his heart gets harder and harder, and so do the plagues. As Pharaoh's heart hardens, the plagues get Deadlier and deadlier, they intensify until we eventually reach this point that we read about this morning in chapter 11 and verse 4, where it says this, So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who sits behind the handmill and the firstborn of all the cattle. There shall be a great cry through all of Egypt, such as there has never been and never will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. So the first detail is that the firstborn is going to die. The second detail is that there's going to be a distinction A distinction between what? What distinction is the Lord going to make? Is he going to just avoid the Israelite suburbs and only visit the Egyptians? No. What does it say? He's going to pass through the whole country. He's going to visit every household. The distinction won't be location or suburb or house type. It won't be size or structure or shape or value. The distinction will be blood. It will be blood applied to the lintel and to the doorframe of the house. And some will take shelter under the blood of that house. And the Lord will pass over. But the rest will be judged. How does one take shelter? Chapter 12 and verse 3. On the tenth day of the first month, you are to take a lamb into the household. It has to be a lamb. If your household doesn't have enough money for a lamb, then something else won't do. If you don't have the means, verse 4, then you're to join together with other families so that you can get a lamb. Only a lamb will do. Verse 5, the lamb has to be male. It's got to stand in for the firstborn son. It's got to be a like for like. And it has to be without defect. Not some cheap old thing, but rather a precious, unblemished lamb. Without spot. And verse 3 says that you're to take it into the family. It will be with you for the next four days. It will become part of your household. But on the 14th day of that month at twilight, you will kill the lamb. Then verse 22 using a bit of hyssop plant as a paintbrush, you will paint the blood. Onto the lintel and to the doorframes, you're to apply intentionally. You're not just to spray it and throw it at the doorframe. There is a sense of precision, a deliberate act of making a distinction on your household. Then you're to go inside and you're not to come out. You're only safe as you shelter underneath the blood of the lamb. And once inside, verses 8 to 11, you're to roast the lamb with bitter herbs and to eat it with unleavened bread. Eat it fast. Eat it with your sandals on, it says, and your staff in your hand. Eat it standing. Eat it ready to leave the country, because this is the last thing that you will do in Egypt. Your deliverance is close. Verse 23, at midnight, then the Lord will go through the land. He will pass over every house that shelters underneath the blood of the Lamb. But, verse 29, for those who did not heed the Lord's warnings, he will strike down the firstborn of every household. A devastating plague. And after this plague, Pharaoh finally, we read, lets the Israelites go. And forevermore, we read, that the Israelites would commemorate the Passover as their liberation from Egypt. Those are the details of the Passover that we've read in short. But what's its context in terms of biblical narrative? Well, to do that and to look at the context, we need to rewind before we go forward. We're going to rewind to Genesis and to Genesis 22, where we read the narrative of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is walking up the walking uh, up the hill with his son Isaac, Isaac, whom he loves, Isaac, his only son, and he 's meant to sacrifice his son as a sacrifice of atonement. His son Isaac is carrying the wood up the mountain up that hillside, an echoing of what is to come later, and Abraham is carrying the tools of judgment, the wood, and sorry the fire and the knife, and as they ascend that hill, Isaac says to his father. Where is the lamb of sacrifice? And Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb. And of course, on this day, the Lord halts the sacrifice of Isaac and provides a ram instead. The ram dies instead of Isaac. But from that day onward, the mountain was called, the Lord will provide. What will the Lord provide? The Lord will provide the lamb. The Lord will provide the lamb on that mountain in the region of Jerusalem. His truly beloved son. The true sacrifice of atonement. And he will carry the wood up that very hill to die for the sins of the world. Genesis two twenty-two and 14 says, It was common knowledge in Israel on the mountain of the Lord will it be provided. The Israelites knew that the Lamb of God was going to come and die as the true sacrifice of atonement. They even knew the very mountain that He was going to die on. So for those Israelites at Passover, it must have had such a resonance with them as they killed this Lamb and sheltered under its blood. They knew that there was a coming Lamb who would provide the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate shelter. Fast forward now 800 years and we fly over Many analogies of lambs and sacrifices and blood. And we come to Isaiah in chapter 53, where he prophesies the work of the Messiah, saying, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah knew that the coming Christ, that he would be the Lamb of God and he would die in our place to bring us shelter, healing, forgiveness, and peace. Fast forward then from him another 700 years and we have Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey. And guess what? It's the tenth day of the month, and all of Israel are bringing their Passover lambs into the house as Jesus enters the house of God. And on the fourteenth day of the first month, while everyone is holding their Passover meals, Jesus is hosting his last supper. And he's meant to be carving the lamb and passing it around the table, but there is no mention of the lamb on the menu that we're told of. There is, however, a lamb at the table. Jesus, the Lamb of God. And as we have remembered this morning, he takes the bread and he takes the wine and he says, remember, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And then, of course, Jesus dies, that bloody Passover death, a lamb to the slaughter. No wonder later writers say, such as Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed or where he remarks in first Peter 1 and 19, you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect. And then John later in Revelation, he will refer to Jesus as the lamb 28 times. And he, he paints this vision where we have Jesus appearing in heaven, looking like a lamb who's been slain and all of heaven bursts into song and sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased people for God from every tribe and nation, people and language. And then he goes on later to say, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, ten thousand times ten thousand. They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice and they sang together this, this remarkable picture. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and praise. And then I heard every creature on earth and under the sea and all of them singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and glory and power forever and ever. We have the Lamb of Jesus From Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between. It's the most basic thing you can know about Jesus this morning. That He is the Lamb. And it's also the most exalted thing that you can know about Jesus this morning. That He is the Lamb. Your Passover Lamb. My Passover Lamb. So when we read about this story here in Exodus, it's not just an account of one remarkable night in Egyptian and Israelite history. Passover is revealing to us the most fundamental truth about our Lord Jesus. That he is the Lamb of God. That he is your Lamb. And therefore, for our remaining time this morning, let's just focus on those three aspects that I referred to earlier. On how this ultimate Passover Lamb saves God's people. He does it three ways. He saves them through judgment. He saves them through sacrifice. And he saves his people through substitution. This is the the culmination of all the threads that we've seen through our earlier studies in Exodus this past few weeks. Firstly then, saving through judgment. And here's the point that we began with. Passover is a plague. The salvation that God brings is salvation through judgment. To get saved... You don't go round judgment. You don't go away from judgment. You have to go through judgment. Look at Exodus 12 and 12 and ask yourself this. What does Passover save the people from? Verse 12 says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. What does Passover save us from? Well, one thing we see here is that Passover saves the people from all the gods of Egypt. This is not about political or economic liberation. It's about spiritual liberation from spiritual overlords. That's an important aspect of the Lord's salvation. But it's not the most important thing that Israelites need saving from. Here's what the Israelites really needed saving from. They needed saving From the Lord Himself. The Lord needs to save them from the Lord. This is repeated in verse twenty three, verse twenty seven, verse twenty nine it's the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Lord who's coming in judgment. It's personal. It's not like all the plagues that we've seen before, like the hail or the darkness or the gnats. With those plagues, Moses would stretch out his hand and the plagues would come through him. This time the Lord says even to Moses, run for cover because I am coming. All of Israel, even Moses, must take shelter under the blood of the Lamb because the Lord is about to come and judge the land. Salvation if it's going to come, has to be salvation from God. People need to be saved by the Lord, from the Lord. How will he do this? Well, through sacrifice. Passover was a meal, certainly, but before that, it was a sacrifice. You see that in verse 27. And the real key to the sacrifice was its bloodiness. See verse 23, this is what averts the judgment For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. It's the blood that makes the difference. When blood is in our veins, it means we're alive. When blood is out of our veins, it means death. And the blood of the Lamb is the sign of sacrificial death. That's what turns aside the judgment of God. The blood and only the blood. Without the blood of the Lamb, you forfeit the blood of your firstborn. If there's going to be salvation, then judgment must fall. It's not salvation that goes around judgment or away from judgment, but through judgment. But the judgment will fall on the sacrifice rather than on you. That's what's happened at the Passover. That's what's happened at the cross. The cross was the judgment of the world focused down like a magnifying glass until it burned divine power on Jesus, our willing sacrifice. But that's how salvation comes. Only through judgment falling on the sacrifice. It's blood for blood. It's death for death. And that's the third aspect of the Passover. Passover. The people are saved through substitution. Look at the last line of verse 30. The last line. There was not a house without someone dead. That's true of every house in Egypt that night, whether Egyptian or Israelite. Every house had something dead in it. Either there was a dead lamb or there was a dead son. And if there wasn't a dead lamb, then there would have definitely been a dead son. Do you see how Passover is a substitutionary sacrifice? A sacrifice that takes your place. It's you or the substitute. It's you or the lamb. The lamb dies instead of you. The lamb dies for you. Now, I'm sure the firstborn sons in Israel were grateful for what the Lamb did in their place, but surely that's nothing compared to our gratitude that we should have for Christ the Lamb. The unblemished Lamb wasn't a willing substitute, but Jesus was. He freely laid down His life. In fact, His eternal glory is to lay down His life in substitutionary sacrifice for us. But bring to mind, just for a moment, how Jesus coming down to the cross was such a climb down. On that cross, the Lord became the Lamb. The Savior became the sacrifice. The Judge became the judged. Our maker was crucified, slaughtered as a lamb. He bled his own heart's blood, the blood of God, as Acts 20 puts it. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. It's substitution, the blood of God, was shed for us. Now there is a day of judgment coming. There is blood demanded from each one of us. But Christ... Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The blood demanded from us has been offered for us in our place, on our behalf, as our substitute. And therefore, if you're trusting in the lamb, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus, then his blood shelters you from that coming day. If you're not trusting in Jesus, the lamb, then nothing can shelter you from that coming day. The blood of Jesus is entirely sufficient, but it's also entirely necessary. We need to grasp Both of those things. We need to be reminded and encouraged by the sufficiency of the blood. There is no good work here on earth that is going to augment or improve that efficiency. There is no religious ritual that you'll be able to perform that will improve the sufficiency. And on the other hand, there is no lifestyle far too gone that will make sheltering under the blood of the Lamb insufficient. How marvelous a truth is that. Don't you need to hear that this morning? That there is nothing that you or I can do that would render the blood of Jesus insufficient for us if we have recognized the need to paint it over the door frames and the lintel of our lives. There is no sin inconquerable. There is no power of hell. There is no scheme of man that can separate us from God's insatiable love for us. Amen? Fully sufficient, yet fully necessary. The judging, sacrificial, substitutionary of blood of Christ is the only intermediary for our lives. It's exclusive, and we need to understand it and recognize it as plainly as that. There is nothing that we can shelter from except under the blood of Jesus. May that sharpen our prayer lives. May that hone our witness. May that encourage us to tell others about the love of Jesus. Of course, the other question is, have you taken shelter under Jesus? Have we taken shelter in his death on the cross for us? Jesus the Lamb sits on the throne right now, waiting to yet to receive more people who trust in him. He longs to shelter them from that coming day. Call on Jesus and ask for shelter. He will never turn you away. If you ask, you will be kept safe in Jesus the Lamb. So do we see how Passover teaches us about our Christian lives? Christ saves us by His blood, not by anything else. It's not about the, the quality of our living, speaking, our acting, our praying. It's not even about the quality of our faith. It's only about the blood. It's the quality of His death, not the quality of our life. Do we know that? Our status with God, both now and into all eternity, is not down to the quality of our life. It's purely down to the quality of his death. Our salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. Nothing to do with our performance and all to do with his. 1 John 1 and verse 7, the blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us from every sin. Eyes off our sin, eyes off ourselves our salvation is entirely outside of ourselves it's all about Jesus the lamb we're prone to regret to forget that truth are we not as Russell alluded to this morning which is why we are regularly prompted as Russell also pointed out to remember what he did for us as we have done so in communion this morning we see that all the way through the text look at verse 14 This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Verse 17, observe the feast. Verse 25, observe the ceremony. Even before they'd experienced Passover, they're planning on how they will remember it for generations to come. To come. Because Passover is to be woven into the fabric of Israelite life. They are to be the people of the Lamb. They are to be the people who are saved through substitutionary sacrifice. And they must keep remembering this. Why? Because they'll forget. It's the same the night before Jesus dies. You'd think Jesus would have been too busy preparing for his own death. And yet he spends hours... Telling his followers how to commemorate him. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because the cross is to be woven into the fabric of our lives. We are to be the people of the Lamb. We are to be the people who are saved through substitutionary sacrifice. And we must keep remembering this. Why? Because we are prone to to forget we lead our lives at times as though our performance good or bad is what counts before god and god keeps saying have you forgotten already remember your lamb remember his death his death is far more significant than your life so remember who you are you are people we are people Saved by the blood of the Lamb. You are people nourished by feasting on that sacrifice. You are people who need His death just so that you can live. You have nothing, nothing to contribute. You can only receive. You are that needy. We are that needy. We are that sinful. We are that dependent. We are that famished that we must rely On the death of Jesus as our substitute. And not just to get through judgment. But to get us through the day. Trusting in the Lamb is not just a one-off event. It's a way of life. So remember, says the Lord's instruction. His word is really not about what to do. It's far more about remembering what he's done. Your doing by great comparison is irrelevant. His doing is everything. So forget ourselves and remember Christ. Let us have remembrance woven into the fabric of our lives. As church, of course, we take communion regularly to remember that fact, but let's also remember through the reading of Scripture, through the the meditating On his word, through prayer, through encouraging one another, through any means we can, just to echo John's cry of behold, behold the Lamb. That's the whole meaning of life and the whole glory of eternity. Behold the Lamb. In remembering him, in beholding him, that's our life, our joy, our comfort, our peace, our security and our eternal Song of praise. So remember to behold the Lamb today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lamb of God, Jesus, our perfect. Saviour, our sacrifice, our substitution, the one in whom judgment was borne out upon. Lord, we thank you for his willingness, for his desire, and for his ability to go onto that cross and to crush the weight of sin that would so easily drag us down. Father, we pray that as we leave here today, Lord, that we would think about John's statement of behold the Lamb, the one who takes away the center of the world. Lord, may that be our prayer and our focus and our desire to look upon that cross and to remember the Lamb slain for us. Father, that we would take away any thoughts of our own ability or skill. And that we would realize that we are solely dependent on your grace and your mercy to us. Lord, may it challenge our hearts and focus our prayer lives. May it encourage us to read the Word. And Lord, for those here this morning who are wondering what all this means. Lord, I pray that the Lamb would become real to them this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us and your faithfulness. And we pray that we would be mindful of you, our Lamb,
0: forevermore. In your precious Son's name. Amen.